Good day, beautiful podcast family. I hope that wherever you are on this planet, you're doing amazing, and I'm sending my prayers your way, wishing you, your family, your loved ones all the best. We have got an absolutely amazing episode of the show for you today. We have Craig Hogan on, and we are talking about proof of the afterlife, expanding consciousness, and finding peace within. This is a very fascinating episode where we dive deep. We talk about the inner world and opportunities for gratitude and appreciation, the Monroe Institute of Consciousness and the experiments they did, the importance of quieting the mind. We talk to um, the practice of gratitude, the power of will. We talk about studying consciousness and the power of meditation. And then we dive deep into the afterlife. Is the afterlife real? Higher consciousness, parallel realities, near-death experiences, learning lessons, and so much more. This is a very fascinating episode. I'm sure you're going to enjoy it. And if you do, please share it far and wide. Consider leaving us a review on iTunes and on Spotify. And if you want to become a member to support this show and also get access to a ton of amazing exclusive content, go to mattbelier.com and you can become a member for free or by donation. So whatever you want to do, you can put your own donation in there and you can support uh, that way. And you also get access to the Soul Compass course, which is a phenomenal guide for finding your life purpose, your path and your direction. And again, you can have all of that for free or by donation if you want to support this show. If you want to go one step further and you want some support with one-on-one coaching, helping you overcome blocks, limitations, imposter imposter syndrome to design your full authentic heart-centered life from your authentic part of your being then hit me up mattbelair.com forward slash coaching i'd love to work with you support you and help you build your dreams into reality and that is it the last thing you can do uh, to support this show is to do three kind acts wherever you are in the world so let's come into a state of peace and coherence before we dive in wherever you are in the world just stop what you're doing take in a deep breath in through your nose Hold that breath and let it out slowly, filling every cell, every muscle and fiber of your being with joy, peace, contentment, power, courage, faith, optimism, energy, and get ready to enjoy this amazing episode with Craig Hogan. Hello and welcome to the Mastermind Body and Spirit Show. I'm your host, Matt Belair. Today's guest is the president and co-founder of the Afterlife Research and Education Institute and co-founder of Seek Reality Online. He has been a professor of business communications, a staff development administrator at a medical school and university, and founder of his own international business writing school. He has been studying and writing about the life after this life, afterlife communication, consciousness and the nature of reality for 35 years he is the author of many books including evidence beyond a reasonable doubt you will never die welcome to the show craig hogan hello matt it's wonderful to be here i'm anxious for us to get started and talk about some things of interest yeah well you know what a fascinating uh book title i know that a lot of people are fascinated with the afterlife. I know a lot of people are very afraid of death. So Mm -hmm. your uh, title of that book is comforting, Uh, but you've been researching this for a very long time. So I'd love for you just to begin with a little bit about your background, what got you into the interest of afterlife and what happens next. And we'll just dive in and see where it takes us. 
Well, I didn't have any beliefs of any sort. I actually was an atheist when I started my career in this field. And I was drawn to psychics. Psychics kept coming into my life. And I discovered when one of the psychics said to me, you've got psychic ability, I discovered that I can do remote viewing. So what I can do is I can sit in my office in Illinois and I can look at somebody's desk in New Jersey and I can tell them what's on the desk. I can tell them what objects are there and uh, even sometimes what the activities are that are going on there. So I discovered I have remote viewing ability and that taught me that there's a whole lot more to the world than what we see. And as I delved into that and tried to understand more about how that happens and why it happens, and I came across the idea that if the mind is not in the brain, because I can send my mind any place, the mind is not in the brain. So that means that when the brain dies, we don't die. We go on and we live in the next life. And so then I started delving into what the next life is. Where do we go? What happens to us there? What kind of experiences do we have? And so I've spent my time now teaching people about this life and the afterlife, the consciousness and the nature of reality, and how to communicate with loved ones living in the next realm. Well, well, that is a pretty, uh, I was going to say heavy. It's not so much heavy, but it's a very interesting beginning. You know, I think the Monroe Institute did the most work and is the most recognized when we talk about remote viewing and showing that you can potentially leave the body and see other things um the the movie uh, men who stare at goats it's interesting because at the beginning of that movie they say more of this is real than you'd believe and i remember watching that movie and knowing from the research that i've done that much of that uh, movie did exist. They did that kind of research. They're doing a lot of remote viewing. And so it begs a lot of questions. And I'd be curious to start us off with is like, what is the best proof that there is something beyond this life? Do you think it's like a heaven and hell or, and what's the best evidence you have for that? Yeah. Well, the first, there definitely is a life after this life. And we know that because of the fact that people living there now are sending back messages to their loved ones here. Their loved ones here realize who they are. They know their their mannerisms. They know the memories that they have. They share memories together. And so they vouch for the fact that that person coming through is the person who's living in the life after this life. And so when the messages started coming through, we just got more and more of them. We have volumes of them now. We have thousands and thousands of them, of messages coming through from people on the other side. And the really interesting thing is that sometimes they'll tell us things about what was going on today or yet last night. Uh, There's one woman who came through in in seances with Leslie Flint, and we have recordings of her, and she was speaking to her husband, Dr. Dinshaw Nanji, and he was uh, on the faculty of Birmingham University in the UK. And she would come into the seance and she would speak when only Dr. Nanji and the medium were in the room. And she would speak to Dr. Nanji about what he was doing. She was telling him how to decorate his flat. She was telling him about what she would had seen him doing before he came there. She said that uh, he had seen a woman that looked very much like her, like Annie, and uh, he had noticed it at the time and and thought, well, you know, she looks so much like her. I wonder what she's like. And Annie told him about it. In other words, she was seeing what he was thinking as well as the fact that of what he was doing. And we know that there is a life after this life because the people are coming back many, many more than ever before, and they're communicating with us. And we're teaching people how to do the communication. So we get more communication from people living in the life after this life. 
Well, I think that's fascinating. And on one hand, I think it's very reassuring. Uh, my mm -hmm. aunt has uh, passed in the last several years and my mom has a lot of uh, siblings and each sibling mm -hmm. had a an experience with my aunt on the other side, basically letting her know that she was okay. It wasn't like a, a seance or anything like that, but they all had their own individual, very powerful and unique story that it was like a message uh, from their lost sister, which I think is inspiring. And then in doing this research, um, I think that there's also a danger when I look at uh, work of Darren Brown and others who will kind of use like a channeling and a seance and, and be very misleading because you can do it almost like a magic trick. And mm -hmm. in my experience, I always think it's so important for the individual to have their own experience. And I'm curious from the work that you've done, um, mm -hmm. how is it, how do you help people who like, what's the benefit from knowing someone is on the other side? Cause I feel like the messages that I've heard that people receive that I feel mm -hmm. like are genuine are look, I'm safe. There is something here and you have to go on. I know that you're sad. I know that it's rough, um, but um, you know, you need to go on. And, I, and one of the toughest experiences I think I heard was a, a mother who lost a, a one-year-old and this came through an ayahuasca ceremony. It's not really the same, but just a, a very powerful healing experience when you have this loss that is really um, debilitating. And so I'd just be curious how your work kind of factors in with those ideas. Yeah, because when people are getting those messages, such as the messages you've been getting, they are getting real messages from people on the other side. They want to connect with us. They want to have that communication. That relationship is continuing in spite of the fact that we are separated only by the veil between this life and the next. So they want to come through to us and so they, they will speak to us often, especially right after they've transitioned to the other side. So we know that they're getting through to us, they're giving us messages and people just aren't getting them. So I, I would say that everybody is getting messages from a loved one who has recently passed into the next life. And we can say that with great assurance of the fact that they're doing it. And we just have to learn how to get the messages. When we get the messages, then they can be life-changing. They can do things for us. They can help us in our understanding of the fact that there is no need to fear death. Uh, death is just a transition. It's like going from childhood into adolescence. It's a transition that we go through. We continue to live our lives in the next life because there is no death and there are no dead. Well, that's a very powerful statement, and I feel like uh, there's some people in there would would really resist that. I know in my own life, uh, things through meditation and sometimes plant medicine has given me an experience beyond this level of consciousness that makes mm -hmm. me firmly believe that there is something in the afterlife. And you look at the religious teachers, you know, Christianity and and many others that will show like there is life after this death, uh, life after death. And I'm curious. Is there themes that come back consistently from people having near-death experiences um, yeah. and, and what's on the other side versus, and versus what comes in from maybe somebody communicating with someone who had been who had passed? Yeah, you're right. There are differences. A near-death experience is only near, and the purpose of a near-death experience is for the person to learn lessons. So in other words, they're still going through earth school. And one of the parts of earth school that they have to go through is having a near-death experience. During the experience, they have a life review. They have sensations of, for instance, meeting somebody whom they, whom they know, didn't know was dead and they find out later on that they were dead. They have this wonderful feeling of a loving presence. And these, all of these feelings then they can bring back to them after the near-death experience. That changes their lives. 
They become different people. They actually uh, develop psychic abilities very often, but they never look at life in the same way after that. And they certainly don't look at death in the same way after that. So what the, the purpose of the near-death experience is, is to teach them lessons for this life. Now, when they go on to the next life and they have finished that death experience, then that it's a different circumstance. Then they are going into that life to learn lessons through understanding what happened in this life. So when they go on into the next life, then they have a life review. Now, there are actually two life reviews. The first life review is a, a pretty cursory life review that happens very soon after the transition. And the second life review is a life review in which they will go through every major incident of their life and they will feel all the feelings of the people who were involved. So they actually become that other person for a while. And as they do that, then they understand their, their actions and what the results were with other people around them. They grow from it. That makes a difference for them. So the near-death experience is only to teach them things that they will come back to into the earth plane with. The death experience then is the time when it's all wrapped up. We're going to debrief about what happened in your life, and you're going to grow from it as a result. So they are two different phenomena. Wow, interesting. Well, that reminds me of interviewing my friend Mark Gober, who got very interested in consciousness and interviewed a man, I forget his name, um, but he had several near-death experiences. And one of the experiences, he felt everything that he had done to mm -hmm. everyone else. So he was in the war. And when he had killed a man, he not only felt um, what it, what it happened, what it was like to take that man's life, but his families, and then it kind of it kind of fractured out even beyond that, which is a, a very fascinating thing to consider. And so, when we potentially go to this other side and we have this life mm -hmm. review, do we? Some people, there, there's a lot of theories out there. You know, some of them I've even heard where like Earth is like you know a trap, and unless you get out of this trap, then you're not going to ascend to the next thing. That one scares the crap out of me. I don't like that one. <laughs> I like to go down to the to all the rabbit holes. However, when I had that meditative experience on my own, and I felt the presence of God or whatever you're, anyone would like to call it, it's a very mm -hmm overwhelming and very powerful and real experience it makes me feel very comfort comfortable uh, and comforted mm -hmm. that this experience is you know i'm taken care of i'm not just here on my own and it's not just terrifying because if you look out at the world it is constantly terrifying and many yeah. people are terrified of death and mm -hmm. so the experiences that i've had have been very warm and very comforting and so from your own research have you got an idea of what happens next? Is it like a graduation? Some people think you come back and there's many lives here, right? So you keep reincarnating until you get the answer. Is there a right answer? Are there multiple answers or what have you come across? Well, everything that we do, everything that I do in my research comes from statements by people living in the life after this life. So nothing is a religion. Nothing's from a guru. There's nothing that comes from an individual so we we get the testimonies from people coming in from the life after this life, and then we corroborate it. So we get it from more than one person. So this is what we've heard. As far as reincarnation is concerned, it's misunderstood, largely because the Eastern religions have had such an effect. Uh, the reincarnation experience th that they describe is that you can be a snake and you come back as a dog, and then you come back as a person, and and you have the in the wheel. Uh, until you uh, graduate out of the wheel and then you come into the state of mind in which you're in nirvana and that that kind of a, a vision is not what we understand from the people living in the life after this life 
what they say to us is that we as individuals stay individuals. We don't become somebody else. I don't become an Eskimo woman with 12 children and, and have those experiences as, as she had them. What happens is that we are part of a higher self. So each one of us is part of a higher self. And in the higher self, there are many individuals, thousands of individuals. And those individuals are the ones that incarnate. And when they incarnate, they come into the earth school to learn lessons. The people who are planning their life, they're planning the family they're going to be with and the abilities they're going to have and the tragedies that they're going to experience. And so during that planning process, they will take frameworks from someone else's life, someone else in the higher self, because they wanted to learn a lesson that that person didn't learn. And so they'll take a framework from someone else or a piece from someone else, and they describe it as leafing through all of the people's lives to decide what they want to put into this new person's life. So what happens is that gives us an affinity. We're then networked with that other individual. And that's where the past life regression comes from. We stay as individuals, but we can link into one of those other individuals in our higher self. And then we can have the experience of having a near a past life experience. And that then results in our having the sense that there is a reincarnation that we come back and come back and because the Eastern religions have said that, but it isn't true. We stay the individuals. We are all the rest of our eternal lives, even though we, we will evolve, we will develop into celestial beings, but we're still individuals. And what have you noticed is the, like, well, there's two kind of parts of this question. One of them is the idea of what people commonly regret when they die and the purpose of life and even coming here and to make it even more convoluted, I'm just kind of ranting is uh, you're saying we just come back one time, but it's a continual evolution of our consciousness through a multitude of experiences. And when we're here, my understanding is we're in the veil of forgetfulness. So maybe mm -hmm. there's infinity veils that we could go on, but we can't connect to the source or God right now. So we can make our own choices. We can make our own decisions. We have free will. And from that free will, we can learn from the choices that we made. There was external experiences, but ultimately we made the choices. Yes. Right. So we do make the choices. And, and as you say, we don't know the big picture. Our souls know the big picture, but we don't understand it. And that's necessary. We've got to be in character. So we're on stage here. We're living this life. We have to stay in character. And so we do it voluntarily at a level that is much greater than this level that we're in right now. And so because of the fact that we play the role that we were given to play, and we learn the lessons that we were meant to learn, then we will go through this experience, and this experience then will make of us everything we can become. All we have to do is go with the flow. In other words, we have to be uh, allow ourselves to be changed, to become a different person, to withdraw from some things, to leave off some things, and to gather up things, and see the change is a way in which we're growing. It's the way in which we're changing. So we come into this world for three reasons. One is to learn lessons. The second is to grow in love and compassion. And the third is just to have fun, just, just to enjoy it all, because uh, this is the world, this is a banquet. And uh, most people are out there starving and we can make something of ourselves. And what we have to do is, is relax, allow it to happen, enjoy the experience and have a wonderful time. 
Interesting. Well, I have a lot of questions with, with those ideas. Um, I have, I have heard very similar ideas before. Uh, I like Alan Watts perspective is, you know, the purpose of life is simply to be alive, you know, to experience mm -hmm. the, the vast multitude of all the challenges, the beauties, the ups and downs, um, mm -hmm. even what's that comics name. Shoot. There's a comic Bill Hicks, that's it. And he has an amazing end to some of his uh, shows where he said, you know, life is like a roller coaster as ups and downs and rounds. I've around seen this. I've seen him. You know, yeah, yeah he, very, yeah, was, I really love that perspective. Was, yeah, yeah, it's a wonderful perspective because that's the way it is. We can go through life and we can be jerked around. So if we're riding that roller coaster, we can be flung around in the roller coaster as we tense up and we try to make things different and we try to make the roller coaster go in another direction. And if we just relax and believe the fact that we are in greater hands than we realize and that we are being guided in where we're going, then we can relax and enjoy the experience. We can encounter new experiences. We can uh, adjust to changes that happen in our life without feeling like it's a disaster, like the world is ending because things have changed or I don't have that thing that I had before or, or even that that person that I love has gone on before me and has graduated before me. And all of these things don't have to be disasters. We don't have to catastrophize about them. If we just relax and realize the fact that we are eternal beings, we're here in earth school to learn lessons, to grow in love and compassion, and to have a wonderful time. And if we do that, then our lives can change. Yeah, I, I agree with all of those ideas. And then the challenging part of life comes in where we need to you know, make money and life is mm -hmm. extremely frightening and there are many challenges and there are many deceptions and distractions. And so, you know, for someone who's like, you know, I'm just struggling to, I don't know, pay the bills. I hate my job. Mm -hmm. I'm doing all these things that I don't want to do. This sucks. Some people, you know, take even their own lives. They they can't see a, a way forward that is mm -hmm. inspiring. So there's, there's those ideas. And I'd also like to throw in, you know, uh, well, let's start there and then I'll, I'll throw in more after. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It can be overwhelming. We can allow life to be overwhelming. In other words, we all we, we are doing, we are packing it on ourselves. Uh, thus spake there Zarathustra um, by Nietzsche. He described man and the evolution that we go through as individuals when we grow up in the earth plane. And he said, we start off as a burden of beast, a beast of burden. We start off as a camel and the camel is carrying tremendous burdens. And the camel then is going to continue to carry those burdens. And those are the burdens that we have when we grow up as children. We're given things to be afraid of. We're told that th that life is, is not fun. And, and so we have these tremendous burdens and the feeling like we've got to make money and we've got to be successful. And so those tremendous burdens have to be given up. The person then changes from a camel into a lion and the lion then is the mature person that's the person who's growing up and it's becoming something now and he said in thus spake zarathustra that then the, there was a dragon and the dragon had scales and not every scale it said thou shalt thou shalt and so the whole dragon was these are the rules this is life the way that it must be and you must succumb to it and so then the lion had to slay the dragon and then became like a little child. That was the last stage. And what he was saying was, we start off with these burdens and we're feeling like life is awful. And we've got these things that are 
terrible that we feel like we're having to experience. And we are doing that to ourselves. We have to release the burden. We have to let go of the camel and we have to destroy the thou shalt that we must have things. We must follow these rules. And once we do that, then we can become like a little child. And then we open, and when we open like we are a little child, then there is no limit to what we can do, what our abilities will take us into. I love that. I'm just going to keep going and firing questions at you. Um, yeah, <laughs> it's like a rapid fire. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Uh, so I think there's this idea between um, intention and free will where, you know, mm -hmm. I, th I think I'd be curious your thoughts, but my, my thought are where we have free will here. Um, and if we are, if we know ourselves mm -hmm. and we know who we are and what we value and what we're curious about, what we're passionate about, we can mm -hmm. design and create our lives to a degree. And yeah. um, some people believe though, like the law of attraction, which I did. And I, I mm -hmm. believe the law of attraction taught correctly. Um, mm -hmm. But also with that idea, I always believe that God, the supreme creator can trump mm -hmm. any of that for an experience that we must have. Like, you know, that will always, you know, if it has to redirect your mm -hmm. life in a beautiful way or a painful way, that mm -hmm. can happen. God always has the trump card. It can do whatever it wants. But then on the other side, it's like, okay, well, if we're here to have uh, fun, you know, some people are like, well, can I just manifest this amazing thing, this unbelievable thing, or can it just pop into my reality? And we kind of get into that mystical world. How do you frame that for people who are like, okay, you know what? I know I continue to exist. Um, a big thing is letting go of fear because when you want to create fear is like weights pulling you down in a pool. You got to let that go so you can move to towards what you prefer and what you want to create from your own will. Um, and then there's the idea of like stuff could just pop into your reality all willy nilly. I think you need to work towards it. And I'm just curious mm -hmm. your thoughts on uh, those kind of metaphysical ideas. Sure. There's a woman named uh, Anita uh, Morjani, and uh, she had written a book called Dying to Be Me. And Anita had gone into a, a situation in which she had cancer throughout her body. She was on her deathbed. She was going to die that night. And her father appeared to her in a, in a dream, and uh, he told her, you must begin to live your life fearlessly. And that made a difference for her. She woke up from the coma that she was in. Her cancer within four weeks had gone away 70%. Within a few weeks later, it was completely gone. She turned her life around. And the lesson that she had learned is, I must live my life fearlessly. She was taught that lesson, uh, and it was something that she was brought to. She was brought to cancer. She was brought to that situation, and her father was there to teach her what she needed to learn. So when she did that, then she turned her life around. We must live our lives fearlessly. We have to go forward accepting what is coming towards us and realizing that it, it is not bad. It is not a catastrophe. It's something that we can deal with and we can learn from, and we can have that camaraderie with each other. We have to live in community with other people. We need other people around us. And when we have other people around us who feel the same way, who live their lives fearlessly, who are willing to go into things, then we can together make this journey into a fruitful journey in which we learn the lessons we need to learn. And we just have fun, just enjoy the whole experience. 
those are really great insights. And my question immediately is how do we let go of the fear? Have you learned anything? Has there been so, cause you know, this woman goes right into cancer, which to many people would be one of the scariest experiences ever. And I've interviewed uh, many people and know many people who've had uh, quote unquote terminal illnesses. They were supposed mm-hmm. to die and they did not die. And mm-hmm. they completely transform their life. And it's like they go on to a new channel, right? When yes. we think about life, about frequency and mindset, it does seem mm-hmm. like we can be stuck in certain channels of possibility, right? Some people believe that they're able to get to a certain uh position or success or whatever the case is, they have that belief and they're able to do it and other people can't. But you also have these experiences where people have life-changing experiences like a terminal illness. And then all of a sudden life is never the same again. Mm -hmm. And I'm just curious if you learn anything, how do we embody that lesson where they switch that frequency, you know, and just say, okay, you know what? I do want to rid myself of fear. I want to live uh, with joy and peace and fun, know that I'm guided knowing you know, do you, and then I was going to ask you, do we need a life purpose? Do we need to positively impact here? Do we just have fun? Like how, I just throw a lot of A's go with that and come back to me. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. We all have a purpose. We all have purposes in life and we don't know what the purposes are. As you said before, it is like we had a little veil over top of us, but we all have a purpose. We are fulfilling our purposes as we live our daily lives. And we can truncate that. We can cause problems for ourselves by insisting upon having something that we don't have, that we're not being given. So we can insist upon having a a, a job that that uh, with um, that gives us enough to get a huge mortgage. And so we get that huge mortgage, and we trust in God that God's going to give us the money to be able to pay off that mortgage. What we've done is we've taken ourselves into a situation by our willingness, by our free will. We've taken ourselves into a situation in which we are going to have difficulty. It is going to be that way. If we allow life to to roll with us, if we allow life to come and with everything that comes and see the joy and see the, the blessing and the wisdom in what it is that we're getting, then we can encounter life differently. We don't have to have those things we thought we needed and when we don't feel, have to have those things we thought we needed, then we become changed persons. We changed every day. Every point in our life is a pivotal point. So we're cont- continuously pivoting from one thing to another. So we have changes that happen in our lives. And as we get encounter the changes, we can then allow them to come to us and face them fearlessly and go through them and enjoy the experience. Or we can say, I, I only want this kind of a life. I want to be rich and I want to, to have uh, this new car and I've got to have all these things. And if we do that, then we make ourselves miserable. Uh, so as you know, the Buddhists describe the fact that we must give up on everything in life. We must have no attachment to anything, uh, nothing that I call me or mine. And what they say, that the reason they say that is because it's the attachments that result in this feeling of despondency, of, of depression, because we don't have enough of it. We don't have what we wanted. But if we can roll with it and be satisfied with what we have, I know I think about the Native Americans. The Native Americans were Stone Age people who lived in the United States and, and, and uh, in the North American and South American countries. And they lived in poverty, we would think. They, they, they were just impoverished, but they weren't impoverished. They were living their lives at the level at which they were accustomed. And so they made of their lives what they wanted to make of them. 
we can have the same thing. We don't have to have everything that we require, that we demand that we have. And if we can relax and accept what we have and roll with it and enjoy the experience of the changes that come, then we can have lives that are filled with love, peace, and joy. Yeah, you're touching on a lot of great concepts there. The one that I'm reminded of mainly is non-resistance in Zen. And there's a great book on someone who did that by Michael Singer called The Surrender mm-hmm. Experiment. And how I perceived what he thought was he, you know, he went into deep meditation and he basically kind of wanted to be a monk, but it never went that way. He ended up becoming, I think, almost a billionaire. And he talked about his philosophy at a very young age and the idea that he could go and try to become something, whatever that might be. Or Mm -hmm. as he observed life, he noticed that life was evolving everything through the experiences that life was bringing. And Mm -hmm. so whatever life was, whatever life brought to him, he was going to surrender to, he was going to engage with, he was going to not resist it and push away. Like, this isn't for me. This is not my, you know, preference. And and he goes in there. It doesn't mean you say yes to everything. It is just a, a, a much different approach to how you see and engage everything because most people resist almost everything. And, you know, a simple, stupid example is if you play golf or you go snowboarding, right? Mm-hmm. If if you golf, you know, you got the sunny day, right? But if it always has mm-hmm. to be that perfect sunny day, well, depending on where you live, I'm in Canada, most of those days are not a sunny day. Snowboarding mm-hmm. is the same thing. It's perfect if you get that perfect amount of snow, right? And it's got to be that absolute perfect apex day for mm-hmm. you to be happy. You know, everything has to be just right for your mm-hmm. happiness to come or you engage with everything, you know, fully with your entire being say, this mm-hmm. is perfect as it is now. This is absolute perfection. Um, and you can experience more joy, more fun, more freedom sounds nice. Do you have any suggestions on how to do it? I know I'm supposed to do that, or it sounds like a uh, better way to live. And I've been trying, I've been reading like the Zen concepts since 15 and I'm still not getting them. (laughs) Yeah. It's a better way to live. And it is difficult. We're not taught to be like that. That's the reason our society teaches us to want and to need and make us into good consumers. And so as our society is doing that to us, of course, we want more. Of course, we think we have to have more. When we know that other people have got it, you know, those rich people have got it. Why don't I have it? And uh, the, the fact is that if we just, as you say, just relax and look around and spend some time just enjoying what we have, everybody should take and be willing to take a day out of the week and a, a lot, an hour or two to just sitting and enjoying everything they have, just looking at the blessings, looking at all of the good things that they have. And they can become changed people because then they begin to realize that what they have is fine wherever we are, whatever our circumstances are. And if there's something we don't like about them, then we can go ahead and change that. If we can't change it, it's, it's just fine the way it is. And when people begin to realize that, when they just settle into it and, and say, I'm happy with what I've got. I'm happy with the people around me. I'm, I, there are some things about my life I think I want to change. So I'm going to change those, eliminate those tensions from my life. And then I'm going to live with what I have left. And I'm just going to enjoy it every every joyful day of my life. And it did for me, it made a difference when I realized 
that there is a life after this life. That made a big difference for me. And now I communicate regularly with people living in the life after this life. Just another proof of that. But knowing that we live on after the body dies, that this is just a school, and then we graduate and we go on to graduate school, knowing that that's true, we can just relax and enjoy what we've got and have fun with each other. And that's where we should be. Yeah, you, you brought up a lot of great um, topics on that one. I'm reminded as well, I'm going through David Goggins' second book, and he is an absolute animal. What he does mm -hmm. is ridiculous. In this second book he has, he's like, run 240 miles after like knee surgery and his knees are like this big and you know his legs should explode and he just does all of this absolutely crazy stuff and one of the main ideas of he's like i'm not like a masochist i'm not trying to hurt myself he's like i just have this belief that just because something happens, I can respond to that. So he had already earlier in the book, you know, he might've lost his capacity to run. And he said, you know, I'd be upset about that for a little bit, but then I would be the best at something else. I would respond. I wouldn't, yes. I wouldn't remain in this victim idea and resist everything. And because of that, he has done things that are absolutely extraordinary uh, human beings because of what that man has done. It's not only the four minute mile, he shattered a million different things with his mm -hmm. like injuries and everything else. You think, holy smokes, what is going on? And it's his ability to respond to mm -hmm. what is going on and then making a choice. And then his body and his life experience um, continues to grow and he does things that should be completely impossible. And whatever happens in his life, he can respond in the exact same way. And mm -hmm. we have that uh, ability as well. And so it's kind of like this idea of being able to be content with whatever it is you have. And the last kind of mm -hmm. share I wanted to um, speak about is recently interviewing Travis Ortmeyer, who is a former strongman. I think he still is now competing somewhat, but he got mm -hmm. lost in meth addiction for four years and was in this negative loop. And what hit got him out of it, he said, was starting this gratitude list of like, he's like, okay, he noticed his feet and he wiggled his toes and like, oh my goodness, mm -hmm. I have my toes. Oh, I have my hands. Mm -hmm. Oh, I could walk out of here. I can change the circumstances that I don't prefer. And I can also live in much more contentment and gratitude for what I have now. I can really uh, move into that uh, space of appreciation. And over time, it's completely changed his life. And he's now yeah, back absolutely. on a positive track. And it's available to all of us all of the time. Yes, it is. Absolutely. And you mentioned the word resistance. We resist so many things. It's that camel's burden. The burden that we're carrying because we were told we have to have this or we have to be this and and as a result of that we try to make ourselves into something that we're not when if we just as you say if we can just relax enjoy the fact that we have the life that we have everything that we have is of some importance to us and all we have to do is settle in we regard them that way review what's going on in our lives and say i have these people in my life I have these circumstances in my life, and these are things that I love. These are things that I'm enjoying. Those other things that are in my life that I don't like so much, they're not important. I'm not going to allow them to bother me. I'm going to be focusing on these people in my life. And then you go out and have dinner with somebody. But the, it is a, it's important that we allow ourselves not to resist. By resisting and insisting on having more and having different things, we make ourselves miserable. We do it to ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm curious your perspective on the idea of, of creating something. Let's say we, we 
agree with what you're sharing is like, okay, I need to be more content and happy. Mm-hmm. Now you, you might get close to knowing what you want to do for your life. How do I, you know, I hate my job. So maybe they start to move towards a, a more meaningful job and they have family. We're trying to balance a lot of different things here. And when you have mm-hmm. kids, you need to take care of your kids. So you have responsibilities. And so there's this idea of, you know, life is perfect, but do I just sit back and, you know, just live and go to the park? And uh, apparently that's what Eckhart told it. He read some light in and he went to the park yeah. for two years and didn't, didn't do anything um, yeah. versus the, you know, militaristic, I'm going to get up at 4am. I'm going to grind my butt off. I'm going to make, I'm going to make my dreams a reality, which is fine. I'm curious how you marry those two and what your perspective is on that. We do create our own reality. We created that at an emotional level by making ourselves miserable, by making ourselves angry. Nobody makes us angry. Nobody makes us miserable. We make ourselves angry and miserable. That part of our lives we can change. So our emotional well-being is very much in our control. If you feel depressed, if you feel despondent, if you feel like life isn't worthwhile, that's because you're allowing that life to overwhelm you. You're allowing those those kinds of activities that you are engaged in to become the predominant part of what your life is. So you're making that choice. So we do create our own reality emotionally by either making ourselves miserable or making ourselves joyful. We also create as a consensus, all of us together. So we are creating this life that we're living in right now. And this is the nature of reality, what the substance is in reality. At the basis of reality is our universal intelligence. The universal intelligence is the source. And we then are creators within that source. So we are engaged in creating reality. In our own lives, we can not only do things and and plan things and make things happen, but just by having a positive outlook, we actually change the course of our lives that makes our lives different. And if many people have that experience, many people are changing their lives by by being positive, then that changes all of them. That changes the whole community, changes the whole family. There's an effect called the Maharishi effect. And the Maharishi effect was studied in in a number of major cities and, and especially in Israel. And the Maharishi effect is having Zen meditators in a community, and it can be as small as as 1% of them, resolve to meditate on happiness and on on well-being. And when that happens, then within that community, during the period of time when they're meditating, the crime rate goes down. There are more innovations during that period of time. There are other factors that, that we measure that we know that that has had an effect on the community. It's been replicated in major cities, including Washington, D.C., uh, in Tel Aviv and in other major cities that when they, they are meditating, they are making a difference in not just themselves, but in the whole society around them. They're changing reality by meditating and, and focusing upon the goodness and the, and the love and the, and the, concern that people have for each other. So as you say, that actually changes things. We we actually change the world around us. We are creating our reality. Yeah. And I had 
I had uh, Roger Nelson on, who is one of the founders of the Global Consciousness Institute. And there's also Dean Radin, who was on as well. And I think his was Noetic Sciences and a few others where, where mm-hmm. they're trying to measure you know, consciousness and its effect on everything else. And it's very fascinating what the studies are. And now that I've considered those things to be you know, true. When I've looked at the evidence, I've also kind of thought about the idea of like, okay, I'm going to med- on, meditate on peace and then will the whole world be peaceful? Now that's one way you could do it. And when I was in Nepal, I actually did this hike as in a, I can't remember where I was. It was like this very small lake and there was tourists, but there was also a temple. And when I, I went across on a boat, then I did this really big hike up and there's this mm-hmm. one guy there apparently who stays there all the time. And what mm-hmm. he does is this constant prayer for humanity forever. And that's what he's putting mm-hmm. out into the field, which is pretty profound. And there are temples dedicated to doing just that. So it's interesting to know what kind of, or consider what kind of effect they might be having. Um, mm-hmm. But at the same time, for somebody who's living in a city who might not be doing something like that, my thought is to take that idea and to be in as much love and as much contentment, as much yeah. compassion, as much power as right. you can in the life that you're living. You don't need to go, okay, mm-hmm. I'm going to spend an hour of my time, you know, trying to meditate on global peace for everybody. It's like, no, you mm-hmm. be uniquely, you be as empowered as you can, you know, it, because it's the vibrational signal that you're sending. So people are going to see that consciously and unconsciously as you go mm-hmm. around. It's like, what does this guy have to be so happy and joyful about? What does this person... Mm-hmm. You know, I give the example, you know, if for health is like if everybody in the whole entire world is 400 pounds with terrible health and you got one person who's fit, that's all they need to do. They don't need to tell anybody anything. Every Mm -hmm. single person they pass, they see an example of what's possible. And I think the same... uh, the exact same thing happens energetically with our inner world. We're just not yeah. processing it the same way. It's not as obvious, but it's, it is getting registered and it is a mm-hmm. gift to other people. Yes, it is. It has an effect on other people and overtly, of course, because we treat people differently. And so that makes a difference with other people. But also we know the fact that what our state of mind influences other people. Studies have been done in which there have been senders and receivers in separate locations and the sender would send the receiver thoughts that were angry thoughts and and aggressive thoughts and and the receiver then who was hooked up to a lie detector machine it was it's a a uh, the same thing that skin conductance that measures lie detectors then they were hooked up to the lie detector machine and sure enough when the person sent feelings of anger and hostility towards them, then the person reacted, their body reacted. Now, that means that they were getting at a subliminal level. It wasn't bubbling up into consciousness. They didn't know, oh, yes, you know, I I think somebody's thinking about me right now with angry thoughts. But what they did was they got that at a subliminal level. It affected their physiology, which means that it was affecting their whole being. And so we know that that's true. We know that they, that we affect other people. There have been studies in, of meditators uh, who were in uh, in Italy, and they were 200 miles apart. They had two groups of meditators. And so they had one group meditate with the intention of linking with the other group 200 miles away. And the result of that was that the, their heart rates synchronized, their brain waves synchronized, and they become one unit with each other. 
because we do affect other people. So as you say, when we are of, of a higher mind, when we are joyful and peaceful, we reflect that to other people. Other people get that from us, both in what they see, but also in subliminally what they're getting from us. And so we know that that's true. Yeah, absolutely. And if somebody wants to experience this directly, uh, you know, whether we're talking about the Monroe Institute of Consciousness or is that what it is? Yeah. And where they do these experiments where they do remote uh-huh. viewing or yeah. they have this transcendental meditation experience where they kind of pop out of that level of consciousness. And people need to realize if you cannot, this is my opinion. If you can't mm-hmm. quiet, if you've never quieted your mind for at least five to 10 minutes, you have no idea what is going on. You That's are being true. led by very yeah. primal unconscious patterns and influences that are external and they're not internal. We have to know what's coming from inside of us, what's tugging from outside of us. And if yeah. we can do that, then we're open to new ideas, to new self-examination, right? Mm-hmm. So we can move toward what we prefer and we can start to uh, weed off the things in us that are no longer serving or taking us places that we don't want to go, you know, and and, and really developing our connection with God. And then that will bring about that feeling of, oh, I'm no longer afraid of dying. There is yeah. something beyond this uh-huh. because your, your regular default consciousness, if that all is, if that's all you have, holds mm-hmm. such little information and yeah. mostly it's worry and tasks. Yes. And life is a lot more than worries and tasks. How will you create a state of peace, of coherence, mm-hmm. of abundance? You know, if you go into your inner world, you can actually manufacture those states and those feelings, and you can learn to train yourself to see them uh, everywhere. There's something you might know what it's called, but where you like see a red truck, you know, you're going to buy a red truck, and then all of a sudden, um, now all you see is red trucks. There's something that happens in the brain for that, but it's the same thing with your emotional experiences. If you can train yourself to look for opportunities for gratitude, look for opportunities for appreciation, look for opportunities where God is working with you and and mm-hmm. and all around you versus being completely unconscious, waking up, the alarm clock goes off. I got to get all this stuff done. Oh, wait, yeah. I got to be grateful today. It's a very different uh, perspective. Yeah, it really is a different perspective. And, and that's, the, that's the key to it. The key to it is just waking up. So it is that we need to wake up. We need to realize that there's much more to life than what we're engaged in. We're inundated with things. It's, it's like we are that beast of burden and we've got all these burdens and we have to do this and, and we are miserable because we don't like our job and, and all of these things that we think are making us miserable, but they're not. We are making ourselves miserable. We make ourselves angry. And if there is any way of getting out of it, then, then we need to find that way or of enjoying what we're in and spending the time investing ourselves in becoming the person we want to become, the, all the person we can become in this lifetime. And we do that just by allowing ourselves to become the person that we want to become. And in your experience, have you found a best or suggested practice for people to begin to engage with that idea and experience it? Yeah, meditation is, is one way that everyone should meditate. It's really important to meditate because it gets you in touch with your inner self. And the second way is is simply of being contented with what you have, so that what you have is just all there is. That's all all you need to have. You don't need to have anything else. And just saying, I'm going to stop wanting things. 
I'm going to stop trying to get things or extending myself because I'm, I'm overspending. So we need to stop doing those things that are creating those that kind of misery. And then we need to review and enjoy the things that are joys in our life. We have loves, we have peaceful things, we have joyful things, and we don't spend enough time being engaged in them. And that doesn't mean necessarily talking with somebody or doing something with somebody. It can mean just sitting down and, and feeling like, I like where I am. I like who I am. I like this life the way that it is. And by doing that, then you do become accustomed to it. You do become entrained. So it's entrainment. And after a while, then it becomes a part of you. It becomes a normal part of you. So as you say, all you have to do is practice it. All you have to do is do it. And you'll see differences in yourself. Yeah, I agree. And I can remember when I had a really clear realization that if I couldn't be content and happy with what I had now, with what I knew, with what I had done, with who I was, with everything, without adding one thing, without changing one thing, if I can't be content completely, then I will never be content because there is absolutely no perfect scenario. And it's interesting that many people who've had everything taken away, they're Mm -hmm. the ones who know this and can experience it and can live it. They build back after, but everything's taken. And like, holy, I'm grateful that I can breathe. I have absolutely nothing. Everything's been taken away, but Mm -hmm. I can breathe. And I'm so grateful for that. And I like to give the example when I'm, when I'm coaching people and we're going through a variety of things, I go, okay, you know, there, everybody's got their own processes, right? And we're trying to live a balanced life and earn money and have happiness and take care of our family and, you know, be well physically and make money and have adventure and all the different things. And, you know, I say, okay, um, well, would you rather have like, you know, $10 million right now or, or forever? You're, you know, there's a billionaire, but you've lost the use of your legs or you've no. lost your eyesight. Now in no. five years, you can go back and you can keep that money, right? Or, um, you can get your legs back and be absolutely poor, or you can get your eyes back and be absolutely poor. What do you choose? And they think mm. about it and they always choose the body's function. Yeah. Always. And so True. you can take that base level of immense gratitude, mm-hmm. right? And you can carry that forward if you can remember. And yeah. maybe it takes a while, but the way that the brain works is you can entrain the brain to recognize this and move yourself into that state. And that's where your will comes in. And I love the book by Yogananda, um, Scientific Affirmations, where he talks about Mm -hmm. the use of the will. And I haven't brought this up in a while. And I I think it's such a powerful idea is that, you know, when we're thinking about creating our life or changing Mm -hmm. something, you know, he's like, most people like go, oh, okay, I want to do this thing. And if you think about the energetic frequency of that, um, it's like 0.1. You know, it's like mm-hmm. so small in the energetic yeah. frequency, but you hear about these stories on the flip side of a car that crashed, right? And the mother has their son or daughter in there and there's repeated experiences where they lift a car, they do something yeah. um, supernatural. Well, the mother mm-hmm. isn't thinking like, is this car going to move or did I stretch today or how strong am I? They, they put their entire being, their entire essence, every ounce mm-hmm. of who they are to, to do something. And so yes. we're thinking about our will or we're thinking our change. Are you doing it with that kind of power that the mother would mm-hmm. have to flip the car or you're just mm-hmm. going, you know, I want to change and there's no energy. It's just a thought. And so we can yeah. learn to improve and uh, magnify our energetic um, 
power to what we want to do through mm-hmm. action and through embodiment and through emotion. There's there's a few ways, right? So action is good too. Even if you don't feel it, but you move into action, you'll start to feel it. It'll start to grow. So that's a great way too. Fake it until you make it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And as you say, it's the resistance. The resistance is what creates the problem. And Anita Marjani said she learned from her father, live your life fearlessly. In other words, go forward in your life. Enjoy what's coming. There's a phenomenon called syntropy. Uh, We know what entropy is. Entropy is where things become gradually disintegrated. Uh, They move into the uh, law of thermodynamics tells us that they things will disintegrate. They will go towards entropy. But there's also a phenomenon called syntropy, which is things that are coming towards us we can see the, the wonderful things that, that are coming towards us. We can make of them things that are joyful. So we can find joy in everything that's coming towards us. Now, we do have tragedies in our life. So things happen that are just awful. But the way in which we encounter them and what we do with them and how we help other people in those situations, all of those things are syntropy. They can be wonderful things that are coming towards us. But we make them syntropy or we make them entropy that they are going to dissolve us and they're going to to fragment us. But we are the persons who are making this reality. We are creating the reality, the world that we're in. If we feel like we're the world is a miserable place, it's because we're making a miserable life for ourselves. So all we have to do then is, as you say, just practice it. Just enjoy life. Sit down and, and realize what you have. Dwell upon what you have. Go out and meet people, spend time with people, be social. And if you do that, then your life gradually will change all by itself. Yeah, I love that. I've never heard that uh, word before, so I enjoy it. And I've mm-hmm. experienced this in my travels. I've I heard when I was younger that some of the poorest people on the planet are happiest. And mm-hmm. I experienced that directly in other countries, not in a Western country so much because they know what's available to them. And they, you know, there's reasons why they don't have a lot, but in other countries that were very poor, I saw the most authentic happiness more mm-hmm. often in children and in people, there was a contentment. And what we're talking about is not that you can't grow and not that you can't go to achieve things is you got, you need to learn to be content with you have with what you have now, or you mm-hmm. will never be a content person because it's never be content. It's it, it need you need to change something outside of you in order for your inner world to be a specific way. When we're saying yeah. that the inner world can can and is controlled by you when you understand that. And right. that's the most important thing. And that's a huge switch. And I'm curious your thoughts on the idea of evil and harm and suffering that we experience in ourselves. And then also when we look through uh, the computers and the scrying mirror and the world and all these issues, um, you know, for me, I've worked on things like human trafficking and some very horrible things. And my thought is, well, if I don't address that and know what exists and, and do nothing or, you know, you don't have to go do the things that I did and really put effort towards it. But if we don't know what exists, uh, maybe it's going to influence our lives in some sort of way. So doing something is sometimes good. Um, but also just the idea of how do I make peace with that? How does an individual make peace? Because I don't think we should live in it. But I think mm-hmm. there's also points where we should know when there's a threat and an agenda or, right, like you move in and, you know, there's a guy in the neighborhood, super sketchy. It's like, okay, that guy, you know, that person's sketchy. We want to stay away or whatever the case is. I'm kind of rambling. But the idea of evil and suffering is something where it can be challenging for people to make peace with, including myself. 
It is challenging. It's challenging to see evil in the world. Now, when we talk about evil, what we're doing, we're talking about people doing things to people. Volcanoes are not evil. Hurricanes are not evil. It's people doing things to people. So eventually what we must do is we have to have a humankind that is filled with love, peace, and joy for each other. And that means that we have to set aside, we have to leave behind all of the things that are familiar, that are creating the world that we're living in, the animosities, the the difficulties that people have with each other. We have to leave those behind. We have to take off those burdens. When we do that, then evil will no longer affect us. It won't be as much of a threat in the world as it is right now. So evil is people doing things to people. And we then, as you say, we have a responsibility within our own lives, within our own little circle of, of rooting out or, or eliminating evil. And evil can be in, in things that are not, that uh, are mundane. They see like there, there, there can be, uh, I am not going to talk with that lady because I, I just don't like her. I know she wants to talk to me, but I just am not going to talk with her. And, and she's trying to make overtures to me to, to be friends and, and what we're doing is we, that is a, a evil at a very small level. It is evil. It's the same thing as the, as the person who's doing things to other people that are cruel and violent. It's a, just on a different level. And so when we encounter those within our little circle, when we find those places in which we can eliminate evil in our own lives, meaning the way we treat other people and, and what we're doing to other people, and, and then look for opportunities to eliminate evil in other people's lives by helping people who are in distress, by helping people who are, are having difficulties with other people, then we, as you say, we then are in our own little circle. We're doing what we can to eliminate evil in the world. Yeah, I agree with the idea that we have to do what we can in our world. And mm -hmm. I know this because I tried very hard to work on things on a mass scale like human trafficking. Um, I didn't know why we had uh, war and starvation, why people starved to death and worked on a project that would build schools and, and um, you know, a variety of things in Africa. And it's just, it's very defeating because it's like, understanding that the whole world isn't up to you but what mm -hmm. i can control is up to me my opportunity right. is up to me my relationships are up to me what i do on a daily basis is up, and i can pursue those things if i want and that's fine mm -hmm. and i can also you know have that in my inner world for my direct friends my family mm -hmm. my my work my livelihood everybody i engage with Right. Uh, it's also important. And that was one thing that David Lone Bear really taught me was that, you know, anytime I meet somebody, I get their name and I, and I get to know them. And um, mm -hmm. when you go to a new town and which I travel a lot, I, I end up meeting a lot of people and you always see like a little bit of shock, sometimes a little bit of uh, resistance mm -hmm. to even get a name because people think I'm going to, uh, they're like, oh, I thought you're going to get me in trouble there, you know? Yeah. The right. checkout and it's just such a weird thing um you know for them to experience but it's it's just a simple human connection right maybe i'll see them again the next week at the store maybe i'll see them at the park with their kids i'm recognizing mm -hmm. that there's another human there and i'm acknowledging them and kind of you know reaching out and say hello how are you you know and this is a very simple thing and it can be a very powerful thing and i'm curious yes. with what you've do you want to comment to that before i ask a question no go ahead i was curious your thoughts on god what do you think about God? Do you think that I'm we got God. created here and there's a, there's a there's a higher intelligence creation that is architecting this as an AI simulation? What do you think is going on? <laughs> yeah, those are all really interesting questions. Uh, the first of uh, whether there is a God. Uh, Amit Goswami, the nuclear uh, physicist, 
had come to the conclusion that he was just unhappy with what was going on in his life. He didn't like what he was doing. And he came to the conclusion finally that gave him relief when he realized there is nothing but God, he said. There is nothing but God. In other words, God is the source with everything that is, is God. And as a result of that, then we can appeal to that. We can appeal to that through other people. When we are doing things for other people, we are being missionaries of God. And so there is a, our universal intelligence. The universal intelligence is the source. It is everything that is. There is nothing in, in our world, in this world, except mind and experiences, consciousness and experiences. In other words, our universal intelligence and the experiences that we're having through our universal intelligence. So as far as God is concerned, God is not in any one of the religions. God is not boxed in anything that, that we can put into uh, sacred scriptures or liturgies. Or God is all-consuming. It is everything. God is everywhere. So everything is God and everything is the source. And we can manifest that. So we can draw from the source all of the power, all the ability that the sort has, all we have to do is believe that it's true and then draw it out of ourselves. Well, well, I love that. And for my 39th birthday, I decided that I was going to, uh, it's been a very long time, but I decided that I was going to do some mushrooms and I did and mm -hmm. had this very deep epiphany that everything was, you know, it, in Zen, they'll, they'll say like some of the universal principles or life principles are, there's not many, there's a deepening. And I knew this, and it was kind of like that idea that nothing is beyond God's control, which meant I don't need to be as concerned with some of the things that I'm concerned about, that there's nothing mm -hmm. beyond the control of God. There's nothing beyond this perfection. And it might look from your vantage point that it is imperfect and from my conscious mind, I understand that this is a free will universe and it has to be a real game. And so mm -hmm. if we actually get free will, people must have the ability to make mistakes. They must have the yeah, ability to cause harm. They must have the yeah. ability to inflict suffering on other people who are accepting that suffering. Um, yeah. But when you're on a totally different channel and you have your boundaries, um, and like mm -hmm. I, I kind of agree with what you said before about like the people, but if I notice that there's a sketchy dude and I don't want to talk yeah. to him not with my daughter, well, I'm also a man and a father and i will i will also crush you if i need to however mm -hmm. i probably don't need to yeah, but that strength and where i am is fine i'm going to help you no matter where okay. you are i'm going to help you always however if i deem something in the environment a threat i can also exist in that way and and be okay with that and trust in the creator and so the idea that everything is God, that nothing is beyond that creation. Nothing is beyond that intelligence. Uh -huh. And everything that you do, you think, you act, you choose is, is the mirror that you're going to look at with God, whatever that's an intelligence. There, there's nothing hidden is the idea. There's There, there will be absolutely nothing hidden from what you have done, but it's also you and yourself because you're the one doing it. You're the one making the choices. You're not going to be able to throw it out to the corner. And so that way, when you learn something, it's not so... Um, bad that you've made a mistake. And my my buddy that I'm living with now, Brian, he owns some land. He's an awesome guy and he's studying the law. And one of the things he always talks about is it's okay to make mistakes. And in my <laughs> life, I find it like I'm hard on myself. You know, it's like almost not yeah. okay to make mistakes. It's not okay to, and, I, and I'm like in my, like, I'll just drop a spoon and my inner world is upset that I've dropped, like, like, what are you doing dropping a spoon? Like, how yeah. ridiculous is it? an idea is that? It's like, it's okay to make mistakes. And when we, 
when we learn that, that maybe we're causing harm, maybe that we're not as aligned as we can be, we'll get the signal. Then mm-hmm. it's up to us to change. But if we don't, that's when we're going to have some sort of repercussion. I don't know how it will happen. Maybe it's just the feeling where like, you know, you like you steal a kid's dinky car. I remember stealing a kid's dinky car and then getting caught and I felt horrible. I had this yeah. horrible feeling I had to go through. And so if yeah. we're inflicting that, there's going to be an evening out so that we can learn that lesson. So, hey, you know what? Now I'm not going around stealing people's dinky cars. I don't steal anybody's anything because I remember yeah. that feeling was horrible and I didn't want that again. And I knew it wasn't right. Yeah, yeah. And we do it to ourselves. So we are making ourselves miserable and we're making other people miserable as a result of that. When we expect other people to be what we want them to be and we can't be content and we can't be happy unless they are what we expect them to be, then we are setting ourselves up for conflict with them. It will cause difficulties in our interpersonal relationship, but it also is going to be self-defeating. They are never going to be what it is that we demand or we want them to be. And so we have to learn how to be content and then to draw them into that contentment to be part of our world. And so when we do that, then we find that that our world is a much beautiful, much more beautiful place than we could have ever imagined. And people do this. They start from the point of view as as perhaps as bad as Anita Marjani's when she was dying and she was on her deathbed from cancer. And she, her father said to her, you must live your life fearlessly. And as a result of that, then she changed her life. We don't have that kind of a circumstance, but we do have times when we're angry with somebody, we've had a fight with them, we've had some difficulty with somebody. And it's that moment that we can turn ourselves around. We can eliminate that cancer from our lives. And we can do that by going to them or spending time with them. And we can do, if there are tigers in the world, we we live in a world with tigers. So uh, you you don't let the, the, all the strangers into your house and you, you, you are careful about the things that happen. But when you have the opportunity to mend fences, to make people become a part of your world, to bring them into your world, then we need to do that. And as we do that, then our world widens. It becomes more joyful. Yeah, I 100% agree. And I think it's... Mm-hmm that combination that's important where you're aware of it, you know, even in the, let's say the sketchier neighborhoods or the sketchier people where, you know, mm-hmm. people will be afraid. I don't feel that fear because I have trust. I just have an inner knowing whether this is something to engage with and support or not, not because mm-hmm. I'm not, it's not fear that prevents it. It's something else. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's an understanding mm-hmm. of, of the situation or, you know what I mean? But I've been around a lot of homeless. I've traveled to a lot of different countries and I never felt fear because I feel complete faith that I'm protected by God. And also mm-hmm. because I've had so many near death experiences, I know that my time here is up to God and not me. Mm-hmm. Otherwise I would have been taken out many times. Yeah. And so it makes me believe that is true for everyone. So to try to live free and live fearlessly, live authentically, you know, try to learn from your mistakes and you will make them and that's okay. Right. Mm -hmm. But move more into the appreciation more into because more into love, because it is both here. You can look at the world through the lens of, I don't have enough from, uh, this isn't good enough or I need this to be happy or wow, you know, I'm going to look from, I'm so grateful for this. I'm so grateful that it's raining today. You know, it's going to bring out the yeah. flowers. I'm so grateful that I have my legs. I'm so grateful that I can, I have use of my eyes. I can drive where yeah. I'm going. You know, there's, there's so many yeah. things that you can move into appreciation for, and then you're riding a different channel. You're riding the appreciation channel versus the negative channel. And that will yeah. Help you ride up. It's kind of. Well, I have a new analogy. It's kind of like you know, um, a squirrel suit or or uh, 
a bird where they ride, mm-hmm. you know, the, the uh, airwaves yeah. up, the Perfect. heat pockets up and they can go up if they're open with how they're riding it, right? The, the world is going to take them up. And at the same time, you can be very closed off and you're just uh-huh. going to sink like a rock and you're going to bring in more experiences at that level, right? Yeah, and so, true. you know, and I've yeah. seen it in the most, in traveling, I've seen this in the most dangerous situations where there mm-hmm. was an, uh, a real and very intense threat. And mm-hmm. my being there versus another pe- be- person being there was too similar uh two very different experiences of Mm -hmm. something and it's not because i'm special it was because i view the world in a certain way and i have a certain Mm -hmm. belief system that i think that that's why there was a different experience right just like if you go into a bar so you know this is my young teenager example but if you're young and you're full of piss and vinegar and you're angry and you get into a conflict it's very easy to come into a fight but when you're yeah. when you learn martial arts and you're at peace with yourself, you're confident with your abilities, you're confident in, mm-hmm. in protecting yourself, and you're not protecting your ego when somebody bumps you and then says, hey, you're a bearded dummy. And like, oh, well, that's not very mm-hmm. nice. But it doesn't yeah. mean that I need to react in this certain way because my inner world is very different from this other person. So my reaction right. is totally different. But it's interesting that those experiences, once you get to that level – Everyone yeah. that I've taught martial arts to and know that's become a martial artist, those experiences somehow never happen. Yeah. You never have the bump. You never yeah. have the conference. You never have, they just disappear. And yeah. because mm-hmm. you've kind of gone up to another level, you're, oh, well, I don't need, I've graduated from yeah. that experience now. Yeah, yeah, that's what happens. And it is living fearlessly. When we're living fearlessly, we don't have to be aggressive. We don't have to expect things to be done our way. We can live life fearlessly, meaning that we will accept what comes to us. Whatever comes to us, we'll accept it, and and then we'll enjoy other people. We'll go arm in arm with people through this life, accepting things as they come to us and and helping each other as things come that are not so wonderful, and, and we can work with each other during this life. But to be able to do that, we have to be able to say, I am content with who I am and what I have. And when we can say that, then life becomes just a banquet. Everything else is joy that we receive from this life. Beautiful. I love it. Well, this has been a real treat. I appreciate you coming on the show with for all your work. Um, is there anything that we didn't touch on, anything I didn't ask, anything you want to cover before we close this show? Well, Seek Reality right now is what we're trying to do is seekreality.com is we're trying to bring all the evidence of life after this life everything we know about consciousness, about how to live, and how to communicate with people living in the next life. So I'd encourage everybody to get on seekreality.com and enjoy it. There's a banquet of things that you can get into there. Amazing. And uh, seek. what's the website for them? Seekreality.com. Okay, perfect. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, I really enjoyed this. And uh, yeah, keep up the amazing work. It's been a joy. Okay, take care. (laughs) Thanks everybody for watching. We'll see you in the next one. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen, the absolutely amazing Craig Hogan. I hope that you enjoyed that show, that you learned some things, that it will help improve your life. If you want to support this show, please consider becoming a member at mapbelair.com where you'll get access to a ton of exclusive content, including meditations, trainings, all kinds of things are over there, and also the Soul Compass course as well. If you want to work with me one-on-one, just reach out mattbelair.com forward slash coaching. I am posting again on social media, on Instagram, on my third 
Discord account and uh, Telegram if you want to find me there, t.me forward slash Matt Belair. And as it'll always, I'd love to hear from you guys. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, please let me know. But uh, thank you guys so much for listening. I value your time and attention, and I do my best to bring you the best guests to help upgrade your master and master your mind, body, and spirit. So thank you for being here. And before we close the show, let's come into a state of peace and coherence. Wherever you are in the world, just stop what you're doing. Take in a deep breath in through your nose. Hold that breath and let it out slowly, filling every cell, muscle, and fiber of your being with joy, peace, contentment, compassion, faith, courage, power, optimism, energy, and get ready to enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you in the next episode.